So it's Mother's Day, as you guys know, and um, I'm really excited to be sharing with you guys today. The Lord had put this verse on my heart in a specific theme, and then yesterday he added something interesting to it, so I'm excited to, to get to offer that to you. And, um, you know, in our, our culture today, the concept of, like, brave and being an overcomer and more than a conqueror is kind of popular right now, right? If we go to cute markets, you'll find tote bags and stuff that say brave and fearless and all of that. And I was thinking this week, you know, I'm a strong personality. Those of you guys that know me know that, but I don't always feel brave and I don't always feel like a conqueror and overcomer. There's days where I feel like who here wants to overcome for me while I sit and watch you do that? Thank you. Right. And I don't know if any of you guys ever feel that way, but I was thinking, you know, there's there's something about when we say we are more than conquerors and we're overcomers and we use those Bible verses, which are powerful and helpful, that doesn't always identify with us on the days that we need it the most. Like the days that we need to be an overcomer is probably the day you don't so much feel like one, right? The day we need to be more than a conqueror is often the day that we feel like the best thing we can conquer is to continue to oxygen in, CO2 out. At least that's for me sometimes. And I I came across this coffee mug a few weeks ago, and it had this simply on it. It said, rise and thrive. And I thought, I love that. You guys know I told you earlier, I don't drink coffee, but I do collect coffee cups. So that's an interesting uh, tidbit for you about me. But this rise and thrive thing has just been running in my mind. And I realized for me, even as a strong person, Rise and thrive is a better way for me to identify with being an overcomer than overcome and conquer. Because there's something about when we come up against obstacles and challenges and hurdles in our lives that we don't always like access that overcomerness, but we can always make a decision to rise up to whatever obstacle we're facing. Does that make sense? And so the theme that we're talking about this morning is to decide to rise to whatever you're facing. I know in my life recently, I've had God's been working on me to do to add in some new things and to do some things differently in my personal life. And there's days where I just think, Lord, why are you making me do this? Like when you're trying to, I was a cross country runner, and um, I was the worst on my team, and I was very proud of that. And I don't know why. I think because I'm not competitive at all, but, you know, I liked being with the other girls. I liked running, but I was the one, if you've ever been to a cross-country race, there's always, like, a five-minute gap and then a few stragglers behind it. That was me in the race, and I loved it, though. There was something, I mean, I actually joined cross-country. This is really embarrassing. This prove how non-competitive I am. I was watching my brother run, and I saw the five-minute behind stragglers, and I thought, well, I could do that. And then I thought... Well, if I was last, they would feel better. So I'll join the team. So that's why I joined cross country. I know there might be a few screws loose in my head, but I loved it, but I would run. (laughs) And there were days where I would run and I would think this is the last thing that I want to do, right? And I would run and then I'd walk for a long time and then run right at the end of, so everybody would would look like I was running the whole time. If you are not a runner, you know what I mean, right? Because you want to, but it just doesn't work the way it does for other people. But there's something about this making the decision to rise when we have a hurdle against us that everybody can do, that even the ones who are five minutes behind can do, right? We may not all be the first over the hurdle. We may not all be the ones with the sword in our hand, you know, like Wonder Woman running. I want to be Wonder Woman, but I'm not always. 
And so this morning, the verse we're going to be looking at is Proverbs 31, verse 25. And I, didn't, I don't have it up on the screen, so you can turn in your Bible if you want. This is from the Amplified Version, and it says, you're familiar with this, I'm sure, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and her position is strong and secure. And she smiles at the future, knowing that she and her family are prepared. Another translation of this says, she clothes herself in strength and dignity. This is a powerful verse that women, we all know. I have it on a sign in my daughter's room because it's cute. It's, you know, we love the idea of it. But as I was preparing for this morning, I started just taking it on a deeper level and realizing we all clothe ourselves in something, right? We came into the world without any clothes on. When you bathe, you're not wearing any clothes. You have to clothe yourself with something. And there's this interesting thing that happens when a woman, since it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk about women. When we get dressed, we try to find clothing that matches how we feel that day. Am I right? Husbands, do you know when you come into your wife's closet or your closet and there's nine unworn outfits that are perfectly clean strung all over the place it's because sweetie is trying to figure out the outfit that matches how she feels for the day right I was at a store yesterday and Eli pointed out to me this sign that said my room was clean until I decided what to wear (laughs) and I know that's me I'll have days where I'm like I put this on like oh it doesn't really fit I don't know why it just doesn't match how I feel so I put this on this is my gift to myself my Mother's Day gift to myself and when I I put it on I thought this matches how I feel it's Mother's Day it's flowery it's really pretty I like it and so standing here in front of you I feel a certain way about myself but I brought with you two other things for my clothes Caitlin will you help me to show you how what we clothe ourselves in changes the way here hold this okay so this This is my tiger jacket, okay? I'm going to put this on for you. I bought this jacket at a thrift store for $2. I'm sure you guys are shocked to know that. It has black and white tigers all over it, I'm sure. For those in the back, you might not be able to see. But when I put this jacket on, two things happen. Number one, a certain theme song goes through my mind. Anybody know? The Eye of the Tiger, right? And the other thing that happens is I feel like I could do anything. Now, I don't know about you. I look like I shopped at Goodwill to buy this jacket. But when I put it on, I'm instantly transported to 1980, 1982, and I envision myself power walking down my neighborhood, just, you know, couponing left and right. I can get something done because I feel strong when I put this jacket on, right? I have worn it around my house so many times and then taken it off at the last minute because I just didn't think it matched me when I went out in public. But this jacket says something, right? It says something Dramatic. Okay, I got one more for you. Grant says it says a lot. Right here, Candace, you can take my picture. I'll be posting that later. Here's my other one. Now, this is my blazer. When I put this on, you know what I think? I am going to work. Put me in a meeting. I am going to make decisions. I am going to you know, balance budgets, hire, fire, let's get this done. You know what I'm saying? I put this on when I want to, like, be productive because that's what this blazer says to me. Now, men, I know you guys are like, this doesn't make sense at all, but women, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? When we put our clothes on, we make a decision to match the outside with what we're feeling on the inside. There's days that I think, oh, this blazer would go really good with an outfit, but I don't feel like boardroom Rachel. So I don't wear the blazer because I don't want to walk into the room with boardroom Rachel in my mind, right? 
There's other days that I feel like I want to be Tiger Mama Rachel, but I don't want everybody else around me to think, well, she's in her gutsy mood today, because what if I'm not in my gutsy mood? I just wanted to wear Tiger Mama, right? All right, hang on. Now I'm back in my preaching clothes. I'm clothing myself with the persona of what's going to tell you the word this morning. So she is clothed in strength and dignity. There's something about this verse that's so profound to me because what the writer is saying is you may not feel strong, you may not feel dignified, but you can put that on, right? When you wake up in the morning, you can decide, make a conscious choice, I can rise to this occasion, I can, you know what, I'm studying for this test and it's overwhelming and I'm stressing out like crazy or whatever is the thing in your mind, but I know that God has called me, so I'm going to clothe myself in what I need to rise to this occasion. I want to give you a little background about the writer of this verse. King Lemuel is what it's listed at in Proverbs, and uh, that's actually a really common pseudonym for King Solomon. So I don't know if you know, but most people believe Solomon is the one who wrote Proverbs and that Bathsheba, his mother, is the one who taught him Proverbs 31. So for those of us who are women, we have learned most of our lives, you grew up in church, that Proverbs 31 is what you're aspiring to become. Like she's the woman of the dreams. It starts in verse 10 saying, a wife of noble character, who can find? And what you might not know is that Proverbs 31 is actually written like a poem, like an acrostic. And in the Hebrew language, it goes like A, B, C, D, E, F, like in in the alphabet. That's what Proverbs 31 does. So this is Bathsheba teaching Solomon a poem he could remember that he would know who to look for in a wife. It's kind of cool, right? But as I was preparing for today, I said, God, I know you want to talk about rising to the occasion. Which Bible woman do you want me to talk about? Can we talk about Esther, who obviously rose to the occasion in the face of, you know, certain death and was able to deliver the Israelites from uh, the evil wishes of Haman? Or we could talk about Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was passed off as her husband's sister, not once, but twice, which I don't know about you ladies, but if my husband tried to pass off his sister the first time, I might have been like, Okay, I can understand you thought you were going to die, but never, ever do that again. Like, pinky promise, covenant with me, you'll never do that again. And then a few months later, it happens again. I think that time I just would have been like, I'm staying as the new queen, (laughs) right? But Sarah, we could talk about her and how she decided to rise over all these different obstacles. So I'm sitting there with God, and I said, which girl do you want me to talk about? And he said to me, Bathsheba. And I said, What? Lord, that's not really like a a normal woman to talk about on Mother's Day. I mean, we all know who Bathsheba is. She's sometimes kind of a bad name in Christian circles. And he stopped me in my tracks. And he said to me, because there's kids in the room, I'm going to brush over some of this. But he said to me, she was not an adulteress. She was assaulted. And I said, okay, well, like explain this to me, right? So I spent the next hour digging into the word and different commentaries. And what I found was God was right, interestingly enough. (laughs) But what I found was that Bathsheba was not a co-conspirator in the act of adultery with King David. She was actually against her will assaulted by him. It wasn't a violent assault like we are common to thinking of, but it was like a power play assault. And she knew if she had said no to the king, who would she appeal to? 
There's no one else for her to say. Like if she had said this happened, that, okay, well, let's take it to the king. Oh, I can't. He's the one you're accusing. You'll just be stoned to death. And so as I'm reading about Bathsheba's life, my mind was opened in a way that, that just blew me away, and I'm so excited to share this with you. We know Bathsheba's husband was Uriah because we know that because we know the story. But did you know that Uriah was one of David's 30 mighty men listed by name in the Bible? That's a room a little bit about this size, so David would have known Uriah well. Bathsheba's father, Eliam, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, Eliam, he was also one of David's 30 mighty men. So her husband and her father were some of David's closest comrades. Not only that, Bathsheba's grandfather, I'm going to really butcher this one, Ahithophel, he was a chief advisor to David, meaning in David's mind, he was more important to him than the priests. There was just two or three of these. So Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is a mighty man fighting with David in a group of 30 by name. Her father is a mighty fighting warrior, and her grandfather is his advisor. So for all intents and purposes, this man is someone who Bathsheba should have been able to trust completely. So in the middle of the night, she's bathing on her rooftop. Listen, she's not a co-conspirator. Where is she going to bathe? Their bathtubs were on the roof, and she did it at nighttime. She's not trying to lure him away. And actually, culturally, at this time of day, it was understood that the men were not supposed to be on the roofs because their ritual bathing and the ceremonial bathing that they do, according to the Leviticus law, said it would have to happen at sunset. Remember when we talked about the Passover series that sunset is when the day begins the next day. The tomorrow is today concept in the Hebrew calendar. And so she has just finished her menstrual cycle and she's ceremonially bathing on her roof to, roof to be in right standing with God, to be in concordance with him. Bathsheba's relationship with Uriah would have put her like an upper middle class woman, very noble, very respected. She would have been someone that other people wanted to be. She had a great match of a marriage in her husband, Uriah. He was very well respected as one of David's top 30 mighty men. And so in one moment, King David destroys everything she thought she had coming for her. Excited to plan a family when her husband gets home from war. Excited to have a life with this respected man, right? And in one moment of temptation, David sent all these people to go get her. And she came to the palace. I'm sure she had no idea what was about to happen. Let's just be realistic about it. And she gets there. And then who's going to help her? Nobody. Because it's the king. And all of the kings and her husband and her father are out fighting the war where David should have been. And then to prove that she was not a co-conspirator, she gets up, she cleans herself according to the Leviticus law, and she goes home. Because this is a woman who wanted to be Uriah's wife. If she wanted to be the queen of Israel, she would have stayed. She would have manipulated the situation. She didn't want that. She wanted to be Uriah's wife. So she has one trauma after the next happen to this noble woman with everything set out for her with a goodness in store. And so the first trauma is her um, assault. Then she finds out she's pregnant. And then we know the story. David calls Uriah back thinking Uriah will go home and he'll be able to cover this whole thing up. But, you know, the Israelites who were in the army, they fought as though they were priests. They fought with God. And staying clean before God was very important because they wanted God on their side when they went out to, the, to war, right? And so one of the things they needed to do was to abstain. That's how they would stay in right standing with God. So when Uriah gets, he's sent out from David's house and David wants him to, you know, give in to his own temptations and go home to be with his wife. Uriah doesn't do it because he's going back to battle and he knows he needs God on his side. 
He knows he needs to be clean before the Lord so that they can win the battle that God has called them into. This is powerful stuff. Uriah was a very noble man. So he sleeps on the steps of the king of the castle, doesn't even go near his home. And then he's sent back to war, and we know that King David has him killed. So not only has Bathsheba been traumatized by the assault and then finding out she's pregnant, now her husband, her beloved, is killed, is murdered. And we, in the way that she mourns, the Hebrew says she wails loudly. This is not typically a way that you would have to mourn. There's an interesting thing in Jewish culture where you had 30 days of mourning and all of the society would sort of stop around you to give you permission to grieve what had just happened in your life. And not everybody mourned loudly because not everybody liked the marriage they were in. But Bathsheba did. She loved her husband. And so it says she threw herself on the ground on her face, weeping loudly. So we know that she loved her husband. She was a respected woman. And then she's taken in to the uh, palace as one of David's concubines. So just imagine for a second, you're Bathsheba with nobility, with everything, with a great house, with, you know, all the prospects ahead of you that you could want in life. And now, in a, in a matter of a few weeks' time, you find yourself a widow with this baby in a concubine, in a harem of other women who no doubt were nowhere near as noble as she was because they would not have been given in that way. They would have been given to someone other, more noble. And so Bathsheba's whole world was turned upside down. And I have to tell you, as I'm reading this and, and learning this, my mind was just going, wait a second, how did she become the one who taught Proverbs 31. Here's a woman who had hit after hit and had every right to shrink back and to throw her hands up. And not only did all of those things happen, then the baby that caused this whole thing, well, the baby didn't cause it, but, you know, the baby that complicated this whole situation dies. And so now she's genuinely left with nothing. So David comes to her again. She gets pregnant with Solomon. And the Bible says, I love this, that God loved Solomon. God gave her a son that God loved. I think God loves all kids, but there was something so honoring from God's heart to Bathsheba's where he was saying, listen, I know what you've been through. I know you're in a situation where you can't get out of, so I'm gifting you not just a son, but I'm going to make him the next king of Israel. And so Solomon is chosen to be the next king of Israel. And this is what I think happened. Bathsheba in that moment rose up and said, come, whatever come my way, I will raise this boy to be a strong, noble, mighty man of God. Even though all that got me to this spot was unwanted, was not my fault, was not, you know, I didn't have this coming for me. I didn't deserve it. It's not fair. Even in that, I'm going to rise up and I am going to raise this boy to be a strong and mighty man of God. And I'm going to teach him how to look out for those who've been overlooked. One of the things that's listed in Proverbs 31 is that they give, the man gives a voice to the voiceless. When we think about Bathsheba teaching her son out of the context of what she's been through, she's telling him there's going to be times where people are in a situation that they can't get out of, that they didn't even get into themselves, and they need someone to defend them. Who's she talking about there? She's talking about herself. She's saying, and, and I, think, I believe Solomon knew her story. And honestly, if you look at David's other children, this is a mess of a gene pool, to be totally honest. I mean, we're going to spare you the details. But if you like soap operas, just read 2 Samuel and 11 and 12 and some of those chapters around there. Because this is crazy stuff, what David's children did. 
to each other and tried to overthrow him. And it's interesting, just a side note, just to further prove I genuinely believe this is true, that Bathsheba was not a co-conspirator. Her father, Ahithalel, however you say it, he was one of David's uh, counselors, right? Well, when Absalom rises up against David to overthrow the throne, Ahithalel sides against David. Why? Because he knew what happened. This is his grandbaby, and this was his chance to bring justice for her, right? This is powerful stuff, and I hope it's, it's connecting to you. So when I think about Bathsheba's life, she raises Solomon. She teaches him from the beginning with an ABC alphabet poem how to find a noble woman, how to not be swayed by people who, who have their own interests in mind, how to look for a woman who's devoted to God. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and then she says, you're looking for a woman, in verse 25, who's clothed in strength and dignity. If you've ever had conversations with people who've been abused in this way, dignity is not something that they feel ever. You're, that's a lot of why when we talk about abuse in this, in this framework, it's often talked about it took your dignity away. But here Bathsheba is saying in this statement, I can clothe myself with dignity. Even if I don't feel that way, I can put it on. I can put strength on. And in fact, what you want to look for is not someone who just is strong and dignified because from her own life, she knows even if you are those things, it can be taken from you. But you're looking for someone who knows how to put them back on. You're looking for someone who knows how to stand up and decide to rise against the odds that are against them and overcome whether they feel that way or not. It's so profound. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and her position is strong and secure. Does she feel strong? Maybe not, but she positions herself in strength. And she smiles at the future, knowing that she and her family are prepared. Think about this. Bathsheba probably had quite a lot of smiles about her future prior to that one night. Right? She had everything going for her. But she's teaching Solomon this after all of that happened. So there's a way that she was able to find trust in God. Even in the midst of her whole future being ripped away from her, she was able to find trust in God to be able to stand up and say, she can smile at her future. I love the translation that said she laughs at the days to come. It's like I have no fear of what could come in my life because I've already been through the bad stuff and God proved himself with me. He proved himself near. He proved himself close. And so even through that, I can stand up and I can smile at what's coming. Even if it's bad, I know I'm going to be arm in arm with a God who cares for me. Right? Good stuff. So I'm not going to take a whole lot more time because, honestly, I want to leave a little bit of time at the end just to pray for people and, um, and to bless you guys. But I have a gift for the women in the room um, and this is something I feel like God's put on my heart. And it comes out of this verse in Psalm 56, verse 8. And it says, you track all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. And you have recorded each one in your book. And the truth of the matter is, women, we are emotional, right? But that's a good thing. We represent the passionate side of God. I personally believe when God made man and woman, he made our personalities different so that we can both reflect parts of who he is. God is very passionate and very emotional. Just read the story of Moses and you'll find out. <laughs> the one day that God's like, I'm done. I'm done, Moses. I'm killing them all. And Moses is able to talk God out of doing that. It's phenomenal. God is an emotional God. 
And as women, when we are emotional, this is something that should be celebrated. I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, Jerry Springer-style emotion. Sometimes that needs to be reined in a little bit. But when we feel things deeply, we feel them because we are made in the image of God. And God wants us, he wants humans to be able to feel with him, right? And so that's something we bring to the table. And men, you know, when you guys are able to be steady and strong, no matter what emotion is presented, that's also made in the image of God. And the marriage of the two is such a beautiful picture of stability, right? And, and um, it's just a holistic picture of God. So this morning I felt like God highlighted this verse. You track all of my sorrows because the reality is when we cry, even when we cry to ourselves, even when we're looking at something that's not fair in our life or frustrating or difficult, when we're having those moments of sorrow, God actually keeps track of them. Why does he keep track of them? Because he is paying attention to your life and he's going to work those things for you as you stay faithful to him. Can I tell you that your child will be the next future king of Israel? Of course I can't say that, right? In Bathsheba's circumstance, God worked that for her. But in our life, he keeps track of it in a way that molds us to something incredible. So I came across these teeny, tiny little bottles. I knew they were small, and they were so much smaller than I ever dreamed. And they're so adorable. (laughs) They're like little fairy bottles. And inside of each bottle, there's three little pearl beads. And the reason is because pearls, to me, symbolize redemption. You know, most of you probably know a pearl is formed when a piece of sand, an irritant, gets inside of a clam, and the clam's reaction, action, traction, trying to, trying to, trying to get, get that out, it secretes this enzyme, covers that sand over and over again, and it makes that pearly picture. And the bigger the pearl, the longer that irritation has been in the clam. And for me personally, I love pearls. They're such a, a way that God speaks to my heart. I actually named my baby Grace Pearl because there's so much redemption in her life. And there's redemption in the picture of the pearl, right? When we've had an irritant in our life, no matter how big or small, it becomes something beautiful as we stay faithful to God, as we stay before him, and as we trust that he's with us in our sorrows and, and in our joys. So in this little gift for you is a little tiny bottle to remind you that even on your days where you don't feel like an overcomer, that God is counting your tears. He's with you. He's, he's invested in your emotional journey. There's some pearls in there to remind you. They're not real. They're beads. But to remind you that you are going to be redeemed. And there's a little card I made in here for you that says, Decide to Rise. You can stick this on your bathroom mirror, in your car, in your wallet wherever you want to, just as a reminder on the days that you're like, I'm done. Anybody ever feel like that? I'm done. Check in, check out. This was fun. Moving on. You know, send me to the beach where, and all of you guys, my family, stay home. And, you know, there's just days we have like that. It's a real thing. And so on those days, use this as a reminder. You know what? I don't feel strong, but I'm going to get out my tiger mama jacket. I don't feel strong, but I'm going to put on my boardroom blazer, right? I don't feel like I can do this, but I'm going to step into it. Because here, in my vulnerability, I might not have what it takes. But right here, God has positioned you in strength. And all you have to do is literally step into it, to decide to rise to that. Does that make sense? So I'm keeping it short for you guys this morning because it's Mother's Day and All the mamas got some relaxing to do this afternoon. But um, we're going to pass these out to you guys for the women in the room. 
And I hope you like it. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to take a few minutes. And if you need prayer for something, please don't leave until you get it. The kids have some more stuff to do, so you're welcome to stay in here for a little while and spend time with God. Let your heart connect with him. Lord, we thank you for Bathsheba's journey and the strength that she was able to muster despite all kinds of injustices. Lord, we thank you for her journey teaching us and leading us to a place of deeper surrender and deeper just awareness of your presence in our lives. So, Father, I pray a special blessing over all the women in the room this morning, that they would feel your nearness to them, that they would feel your presence in their lives, and that when they wake up in the mornings, they would clothe themselves in strength and dignity and perseverance and patience and whatever else that they need to make it through their day. Lord, we bless them. We bless their homes. In Jesus' name.